This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First Doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, 7 months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. On a recent show, we spoke with a renowned dermatologist about aging gracefully, and she explained how botulinum toxin, more commonly known as Botox, is sometimes in the treatment plan. So most of our listeners are familiar with the use of this therapy for cosmetic reasons to reduce signs of aging. Today, our discussion is about the use of botulinum toxin for many other medical conditions and can greatly impact a patient's comfort and quality of life. Joining us is Dr. Stephen Marcos. He's a physiatrist, a physician who specializes in PM and R, physical medicine and rehabilitation. Dr. Marcos is an assistant professor at the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine, as well as at Rutgers, the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, and he presents topics in this field both regionally and nationally. He also has a personal interest in the application of mel- He also has a personal interest in the applications of musculoskeletal medicines to the game of golf and maintains a golf blog in his free time. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I hope now that we're BFFs that you could give me a few golf lessons. That's on my bucket list. My best golf lesson would be to tell you <laughs> I'm the wrong guy to help you. Uh, I'm pretty good at mini golf, though. So, Steve, if you would, you let's talk about your specialty of PM&R, physical medicine and rehab, because it is so vast in the positive effects it can bring to patients. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. So our field is relatively small and not always known to the layperson. And what mm-hmm. it is, is a lot of muscles, bones, and nerves, a little bit of everything else. If there was one key word that best uh, encompasses the field, it would be function. So anything uh, impairing a patient's function, and whether, whether that's quality of life, getting to work, their recreational or social activities, um, you know, we... We, we treat those types of patients and treat those kinds of syndromes. And I guess that would include people who um, 
are in pain, muscular pain or, or joint pain, um, because their muscles have changed in their abilities, as you say, uh, basics of movement, relaxation coordination, um, after say a stroke or people that have spinal cord injuries, MS, cerebral palsy, all those conditions uh, are in your field and you work such magic with patients, I know. So there are abnormalities in muscle function. What might they include or what are the more common ones? Yes, so some of the ones that I I see on a daily basis and uh, the ones that we're gonna talk about today are called spasticity and dystonia. So they have different nuance and different specifics to them. What they have in common, they're both an abnormal muscle tone or an abnormally high amount of muscle tension that's there when it otherwise shouldn't be. And these two entities are, uh, we, we see them in our patient population with some kind of motor nerve injury. You mentioned a lot of things that can lead to that. Stroke would probably be the most common diagnosis in our field. Other ones, like you mentioned, include brain injury, spinal cord injury, which could be a traumatic injury or a non-traumatic injury, multiple sclerosis, cerebral palsy, and, and some others, which can manifest in mm -hmm. uh, these different forms of elevated tone, which can cause various problems. And I forgot to mention Parkinson's, I guess we'd, we'd, we'll talk about that a little later. So let's start, if, if we may, with spasticity. What is it and how does that differ, differ from regular muscle spasm? Right, so the definition of spasticity, it's a velocity dependent resistance to muscle stretch due to an upper motor neuron lesion. So in other words, that velocity dependent factor is the key factor, which means the faster, maybe harder, but really the faster you're pulling and stretching the muscle, the tighter it gets. So it's a diagnosis based, mm. it's a clinical diagnosis, it's based on history and exam and actually feeling that in the setting of a known upper motor neuron injury. So that's how spasticity is specifically defined as one form of, of excess tone. Uh, there is potentially some overlap with muscle spasms. Someone with spasticity can develop muscle spasms. Their muscle spasms often are, are benign. A lot of people can, can get them, whether it's exercise, something from electrolyte uh, problems that are temporary or just benign spasms, which could be painful, but it's not due necessarily to an upper motor neuron lesion. So there is some overlap because when people have some kind of upper motor nerve lesion, that can manifest as spasticity. It can manifest as muscle spasms as part of the syndrome. Mm -hmm. So upper motor neuron uh, injury means, as you said, brain trauma, sending the signal from the nerve uh, transmission from the brain or the spinal cord to the muscle telling it how to behave. So with that, when you say it's velocity dependent, if you move too quickly, it goes into spasm and stays maybe like a seatbelt. When you pull it out too quickly, it might lock halfway. And if you put it back in and pull it out very slowly, you get it to fit over your lap. Would that be a pretty good comparison? That's not bad. I never thought of that. And uh, there, there's some differences, <laughs> but I think as a, as a key point, you, that's something that a, per, that a person can feel. You pull on the seatbelt too fast and it locks up. You pull it slow, it gives way. There's some nuance, but I think it's a good good broad view of it. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the conditions? We already mentioned a few. Uh, what kind of patients do you see that have muscle spasticity? Stroke would probably be the most common. 
brain injury and spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis and cerebral palsy would, would be the top five. Rarely there would be a, a handful of some more rare diseases. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the idea of botulinum toxin. And we mentioned Botox is a trade name for this therapy. It has other trade names, uh, Dysport, Xeomin, Javeau, and Daxify. Daxify sounds like a, a pop song. That's, I like that sound. But tell us how it works, if you would. All right. So going into the details of it, when a, when a muscle contracts because a nerve signaled to the muscle, Normally, there's release of a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine that goes across, touches the muscle, and it signals muscle contraction. So botulinum toxin blocks that. It's absorbed into the nerve. It cleaves these proteins that otherwise fuse and allow that neurotransmitter to get released, and it, it tampers down or blocks that process. But uh, just to use more, more plain language, it's basically a liquid, a liquid muscle relaxer. It acts directly at that nerve touching the muscle and kind of relaxes the muscle. So the nerve is the conductor of the orchestra and the nerve sends a signal and says muscle, I want you to move this way or that way. And if you block that signal transmission, then the muscle can relax, maybe weaken or completely be paralyzed, right? Depending, I guess, how much medication you use. Sure. Our, Our goal is not to paralyze. If one were to give way too much of a dose, on the spectrum of relaxation, you can uh, get into the area of weakness, but it's, we try to, you know, do it in a controlled conservative fashion and get the right therapeutic effect without, without the downsides. Um, and then mm-hmm. yeah, just like you mentioned too. So we talked about upper motor neuron or a central nervous system, brain, spinal cord, nerve injury. That's mm-hmm. kind of the parking brake or the regulator. So when there's an injury there, the parking brake goes off and we have a second nerve uh, which goes out and touches the muscle. So the way we're, we're programmed, when there's a injury to the parking brake, the nerve and muscle just are prone to fire, fire, fire. So that's mm-hmm. what the, the botulinum toxin uh, gets at. It just calms down the nerve uh, for, from that end since it's not getting that dampening signal from above the same anymore. And I think it's really interesting for people to hear that this medication is made by a bacterium that we know as Clostridium botulinum, which is the bacterium that causes botulism, which can potentially be life-threatening if it tells your respiratory muscles to stop working and you stop breathing and you go to the other side. Um, fortunately, that's I, that was picked up, uh, botulism was first uh, described back in the early 1800s, right? And then uh, somewhere along the way, probably in the uh, 1970s, uh, somebody realized that if it paralyzed muscles in a bad way, if you take a pinch of it, maybe it could be therapeutic. Wasn't it first for um, strabismus or lazy eye and then for muscle uh, twitching of the eyelids or kind of that uh, twitching? That's when it was first long before cosmetic use, yes? Yeah, exactly. Uh, So 1980 was the first documented use in humans and it was first strabismus. And over the years since the 1800s, when it was it was first uh, described and termed in Germany as sausage poison, probably from bad mm. meat handling you know practices, uh, through the next century or so, discovering the bacteria, isolating the toxin, producing the toxin, finding the mechanisms of action, the first use in humans, and ultimately 
in uh, late 1989 was the first FDA approval officially for, for various uses, which have grown mm-hmm. in application throughout the years since mm-hmm. then. So, um, so people can contract botulism. I was planning to talk about that a little bit later, but might as well just mention here that if food isn't handled properly, if it's not packaged properly, I remember my dad always used to say, I loved going to the supermarket with him, put the can back. If it's canned good and there's a dent or a bulge, obviously if there's a hole, that's one of the places where the Clostridium botulinum can enter and cause botulism, but you can also get it in a wound. It's, it's ubiquitous. It's, it's a bug all over the planet. It's all over fruits and veggies and such. And I think uh, infants under the age of 12 months should not be given raw honey. That's a something that stands out in a lot of articles as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So if one were to ingest mm-hmm. this same substance, which we use for injections therapeutically, uh, if, if there was a contaminated food source and you ingested this, it goes into your stomach, into your bloodstream and goes to all muscles in your body, and makes them weak, even the respiratory muscles. So that's what botulism is. It's the systemic, you know, uh, the systemic exposure to this substance. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, now that we've learned how to package our food and handle it better, that's very rare. So both botulism or botulinum toxin <laughs> helps your patients because you can selectively loosen or untighten muscles so they can be stretched and worked on with physical therapy, right? And maybe in the long run, you're preventing contractures. Why don't we talk about that for a minute? We have a minute left in the segment, what contractures are, and we want to avoid them at all costs, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So plan A through Z, and then some for contracture is prevention. All right, it's contracture is basically a a shortened, tightened tendon and connective tissue. So it's part, Mm. you know, it's along the line of the muscle, but it's a different area, and as nice as botulinum toxin works to relax the muscle, it doesn't touch the tendon. And when the tendon gets short and the range of motion is limited, it becomes very hard to reverse. And, you know, for that reason, preventing that from happening, maintaining range of motion through through various means is is paramount when, when talking about contracture. Mm-hmm. So if people picture the stripe in tuxedo pants, that tendon, do you call that the tuxedo tendon when it goes down your leg? That, that that shortens, you can see why somebody's leg would be kind of frozen in a flex position, yes? I've never heard of that one, the tuxedo leg. The tuxedo tendon. <laughs> it's probably a richieism. <laughs> Let's take a little break and we'll be back to hear more from Dr. Steve Marcos. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. 
When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Welcome back to your radio doctor with Dr. Steve Marcos. Steve, we've been talking about the use of botulinum toxin, uh, also known in the outside world as Botox, Dysport, other uh, trade names. How does spasticity uh, affect the patient? There's a, there's a few main things that we look at when we're looking for ways to help a patient and, and treat any consequences of spasticity. One of those aspects is pain. Intermittent spasms can be painful. The tension in the muscle can cause pain anytime active or passive movement of that area is attempted. And then there's potentially mechanical and kinetic side effects from one muscle of being over tight and then the kinetic chain creating extra wear, tear, strain, and sprain of other body parts. So pain is one of the main aspects. Function, again, is a big part of it. Walking would maybe be the easiest example. Uh, spasticity among the most common places is in the ankle, with the ankle being twisted downward. And if you imagine walking with one high heel on and one flat shoe or you know your, your toe always pointed down, that's going to create problems of stability and safety and, uh, with your walking. And so getting that ankle more up and flat is an impactful thing for someone's function, but apply the same type of principle for any body part, any activity you're trying to do in your daily life, whether it's getting clothes off and on, whether it's doing your tasks at work, moving moving your limbs, moving about the world uh, re- requires a certain amount of control and, and safety. And then- And you make such a great great point there, sorry to interrupt, but if, if one part, one limb is hurting, and you, the other uh, workload falls on the opposite side, the person's going to have pain and uh, then eventually possible dysfunction on that side. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, that's exactly right. And the, the last part might be not something the patient can or will advocate for. It's more for the caregiver, but just hygiene. And the common example of this is when the inner thigh muscles are so tight, then getting you know pants off and on mm-hmm. or toilet hygiene just becomes extremely hard you know, to access and do for the caregiver. Mm-hmm. So sometimes just a passive hygiene is another aspect where spasticity can affect somebody. Sure. And, and transferring a patient too, if you, uh, for a patient to even help transfer himself or herself from bed to chair or wheelchair to another chair, all those things is what you're saying are, are what we have to consider. So you mentioned also mm-hmm. another mus- muscle dysfunction is called dystonia. How does that differ from spasticity and what conditions bring dystonia with them? All right, so a different definition for dystonia, and uh, one that I like is it's sustained or intermittent muscle contractions causing abnormal movements, postures, or both. So what it has in common with spasticity, they're both forms of hypertonia. The the difference, this difference in the subtypes, uh, subtypes velocity dependency with spasticity, and and what I just said for the dystonia. Probably the most common thing in dystonia is idiopathic Mm -hmm. dystonia where we don't 
have an identifiable cause or reason for it, at least not yet, but it's something that develops seemingly out of the blue. Uh, but likewise, with the upper motor neuron injuries we talked about before, those can that can manifest in dystonia as well. Uh, Parkinson's disease would be another one of extra mention because of the increased prevalence in that population. Uh, so there's some so there's some of the background conditions. And one of the ones that I see a lot in the literature, or I've, I've seen patients with it, is cervical dystonia. We see somebody, as you say, it's sustained. They, they hold their neck a certain way, and you wanted to say, Stand, straighten up. Am I right about that? It's um, How does Botox help those patients? So the mechanism of, of, of action is working in the same way, and cervical dystonia is certainly one of the more common body parts, with the neck, uh, that is, uh, where dystonia is affected. And, and similarly, like we talked about previously, a lot of, a lot of pain, dysfunction with your daily uh, living, swallowing can get affected, and just that constant tension, stretching mm-hmm. muscle A, over-contracting muscle B, etc., cetera, uh, can cause pain. So uh, it takes a lot of anatomical knowledge, a steady hands, and, and good technique um, to do the botulinum toxin injections. And you want to identify which muscles are overactive based on the position, based on the exam, and uh, pick the right dose to relax those muscles and get things more in a, in a neutral position ultimately. So I th- I would think that the neck has a lot of uh, areas to consider. You don't want to hit any danger zones. Or as you say, if a person's neck is contorted, I guess that's the right word, it's harder for them to swallow and breathe, I would guess. And you also, when you do the Botox, or I'm sorry, the botulinum toxin injection, do you use any other um, aids or modalities to help know where to inject? Absolutely. Absolutely. You need to use some kind of localization technique when you're injecting in the limbs or the neck. Probably the most common is something called EMG or electromyography. So this is basically a device you put sensors on the skin, which are just like EKG leads pretty much picking up electrical activity. Uh, This time it's muscle contraction. So that, that goes on the body and your needle has a wire connected to the machine. So your tip is in the muscle belly and your machine's giving you feedback on activity. So you can use this machine by mm-hmm. having the patient contract the muscle of interest. It should correlate with the, the you know, we interpret the, the sound with muscle contraction. If they don't have active motion, what you can do is stretch that muscle. You're inducing the spasticity and you're inducing that sound uh, to happen. So it's imperative to both confirm you're in the right muscle and exclude that you might be in the wrong neighboring muscle, especially in dense areas like the neck or the forearm or things like that. And, you know, EMG is uh, probably the most common. Uh, one can also use ultrasound. You're visually seeing the muscle. You're looking at the spread of the liquid in the muscle. So there's a nice visual confirmation. And then the third option is e-stim or electric stimulation. Uh, that's given a pulse. You're targeting the nerve feeding the muscle of interest and looking at, you're looking visibly at the contraction of the muscle of interest. And so your, your needle tip is approaching that nerve target, uh, controlling that nerve, uh, controlling the muscle that you're looking for. Uh, one, one of the advantages mm-hmm. of EMG, not just muscle location, but you're also have, have the audio feedback of the more active spots. You might be in the right muscle, but you might find an even more active band of fibers that's more amenable to the treatment with EMG. Mm-hmm. And there's a rule of threes, I understand, that tells us 
onset of action, how long it lasts, etc. We have about a minute. Let's talk about that. Yeah, rule of threes is a nice, easy rule. It's a little off, but I think it's fine uh, for the layperson. Mm. So the rule of threes is for the onset, peak, and duration of action of botulinum toxin. So that's three days, weeks, months, three days to start working, three weeks to peak, three months until it gets metabolized and goes away. In reality, the, the more precise averages are about three to seven days for the effects to start, four to six weeks for the effects of the looseness to be peaking, and then three to four months for a duration of action. Thanks, Steve. Let's ask our listeners to stay with us through the break. When we come back, we'll learn more about using botulinum toxin. And now for your real champion. I call this segment, Today is a Good Day. Martha and Paul Sharkey have celebrated the births of four children. On November 14, 2010, they welcomed the arrival of Claire and Mary, identical twin girls. It was only 23 weeks into Martha's pregnancy, and each of the premature babies weighed just over one pound. Martha and Paul were hardly prepared for the traumatizing experiences of seeing their tiny girls fight for life in neonatal intensive care. Martha said, not being able to hold your children after they were born, except for a tiny hand through the hole of a man-made womb, is not natural. Well, after just 14 days, Martha held baby Mary and said goodbye as the tiny angel earned her wings. They kept a vigil by Claire's isolate with inspirational nurses, doctors, and grandparents. A friend of Martha gave her a bracelet engraved with one day at a time, which was their mantra as they watched Claire slowly learn to breathe without a respirator, gain weight, and drink from a bottle. Claire continued to fight and graduated from the NICU after 103 days. Martha and Paul were told early on that Claire might never walk, but at 18 months, they celebrated the purchase of her first pair of sneakers by returning to visit the NICU, and today she's a happy, active teenager. Following those three months on the roller coaster of the unknown, Martha and Paul recognized the gap in care for parents and families navigating this frightening ordeal. They were treated very well by NICU staff and friends, but felt alone and wanted to help other parents. Another couple they met experienced the loss of one twin at the same time. The two sets of parents began to meet for dinner, and now the other couple's little girl and Claire are friends for life. They also connected with other families, including a mother with a son born at 23 weeks. She brought her healthy little three-year-old for a pizza party at the NICU to provide hope and inspiration for other parents. In 2014, Martha and Paul founded Today is a Good Day, a foundation that provides personal and financial support for families with babies in neonatal intensive care as they face different challenges every day. The foundation is currently partnering with 23 hospitals in seven states and the Philadelphia Ronald McDonald House and has provided over 2,700 care packages for families with meaningful items including a bracelet, a journal to keep notes, and a book of personal stories from other families who've had children in NICU. Families facing the NICU are now getting support from others who have traveled this path before them. The foundation has hosted over 50 listening sessions where families meet and share their joy, sadness, and fear. 
They have direct financial grants that provide car seats, pack and plays, baby supplies, transportation to and from the hospital, meals, funeral expenses, and even help with rent. Other services they provide? The first Greater Philadelphia Interfaith Remembrance Service for Miscarriage, Infant, and Child Loss. They delivered about 175 Thanksgiving meals to NICU families last holiday season. They partnered with local and national companies to host over 30 team-building programs to fill care packages and weave bonding squares. And their volunteer base has grown from 12 to over 500. The personal story of Martha and Paul continued with the safe arrival of Martha Rose in 2015. But in 2018, heartache knocked on their door again. Baby William Richard was born at 34 weeks and was found to have a genetic disorder called trisomy 18. His parents sang happy birthday as he slipped away after only 91 minutes. Imagine the pain of losing a child, but then step back in the shoes of Martha and Paul who lost a second child. But this is a couple who sees the glass as completely full. As true champions, they celebrate the fact that they have two healthy kids and believe their children, Mary and William, are at peace in heaven. Sometimes you have to feel the depths of sadness to truly appreciate the heights of happiness. I don't know that this couple needed to be motivated by sadness, but I can say this. Martha Sharkey is a force. She represents the mama bear who looked tragedy in the face and refocused her energy into embracing not just the two beautiful girls she does have, but all the other parents who have walked the same frightening NICU path that she and Paul faced. We salute you, Martha Sharkey, founder and CEO of Today is a Good Day. You are this week's Your Rail Champion. Visit the website todayisagoodday.org. Beautiful testimonials from the many parents the foundation has supported. Maybe you know someone who needs their help, or maybe you can think about lending your support. Visit todayisagoodday.org. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. And welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. We're learning so much from Dr. Steve Marcos about the physical medicine and rehabilitation approach to people that have had strokes and spinal cord injuries, brain trauma, cerebral palsy, MS, that lead to spasticity in their muscles and dystonia. Um, Steve, we were talking about the rule of threes. Usually takes a few, three to seven days for the injection to start to manifest its benefits. And it peaks four to six weeks later. And then how often do you give both the next injection? About three months? 
It varies person to person. There's always a three month minimum period in between. Uh, reason being more often the body will make antibodies and recognize it and that it'll render injections uh, you know, in, ineffective in the future. So that three month waiting period is a minimum. Uh, although that varies brand to brand, some brands do not have that immune reaction. Nonetheless, that three month rule applies across the board uh, as a policy in our country. And as far as how often some people come back every three months, like clockwork, some people, we make some progress and they get some cumulative effect. They might just do two or three injections a year only. The gold standard is you graduate and don't need me anymore. That happens sometimes as well. And so it just depends on duration of response and goals, but kind of a range of uh, probably two to four injections per year most commonly. So if you give it too often, the person's immune system can create antibodies and say, uh, render the treatment ineffective. But if you stretch it out, if you go past three months, uh, or I, I guess my other question was, if a person comes back over the course of time, over several years, does the treatment ever lose its uh, effect with time? So that does sometimes happen. It's not as well described as the immediate immune response, but clinically observationally, sometimes we see kind of a, a peak or a waning effect and switching a brand, which has there's different formulations and additives and components to the different brands and the substances. We, we see sometimes a, a regain in the benefit just by switching brands after a while. So again, observation seems to be potentially some more, more low-grade tolerance than a full-blown immune neutralization. So the other question I had was, we're talking about things that, that people would not be surprised, people that have had strokes and, and limb um, dystonia or spasticity. I know you told me that you take care of uh, patients who have migraine headaches and that you can also use the injections in people that have neurogenic bladders. Let's talk about those two uses. Sure, that's right. So for, for migraine, it's specifically chronic migraine, and there's criteria to you know for insurance approval for the injections. It's not just anyone that's had a migraine or two or what have you. It, it's specifically the majority of days of having a migraine and some other aspects. And it's it's pretty astounding. It's very, very positive results as far as reducing migraine frequency and severity. There's there's not much guesswork or, or fine tuning. Uh, the protocol for the migraine injections is, is very boilerplate, uh, boilerplate, same exact spot, same exact dose every single time, which makes it uh, you know, user-friendly and you know, easier to administer in that way. So let me ask you a question there. Is it the fact that if we're treating muscles, I, is it the fact that muscle tension in the scalp causes the migraines? I always thought it was uh, blood flow and pounding headache, dilated vessels, but they interact in some way. Tell us how it works to help migraines, if you would. I could certainly touch on that. Um, it could be an interesting topic for another day as well with the headache specialist, uh, but there's, mm -hmm. there's just growing evidence that maybe there's uh, multiple factors contributing to the, the pain of migraines, uh, vascular constriction being one of them, neurotransmitters that are painful and substance P being one of them, muscle tension being one of them. Uh, and so uh, the, the the reason it works is I wouldn't say it's proven. There's postulations as to why Botox helps migraines, uh, but re reducing the muscle tension and then some other factors and other mechanisms we haven't we haven't talked about uh, are also potential ways Botox 
can help migraines, such as reducing substance P production, which is a painful neurotransmitter. And there's also growing evidence that uh, botulinum toxin has some additional means of action and benefits besides blocking neuromuscular transmission. So we're still in the process of learning why, but if it helps, we'll take it, right? Because these poor people, I can't imagine having those intense headaches on a regular basis. Now you see patients who have suffered from the trauma of a uh, motor vehicle accident or have spinal cord injuries from a fall or, or stroke that have uh, difficulty with an overly active bladder or a neurogenic bladder, I guess we'd call it. Tell us how it works there. Do you do those injections or do you refer them to a urology specialist? The latter. So that's something done by a urologist. There's a lot of overlap with mm -hmm. our patient populations as far as bladder and bowel uh, dysfunction. As far as the administration of the botulinum toxin, that's done by a urologist. So they, you kind of start with basically a cystoscopy or putting a, a camera through the urethra and they're looking at the bladder and the safe substance is injected all over, just peppered kind of throughout the bladder muscle wall. And for the overactive bladder, not storing enough, emptying too soon, too often, too frequently, too much urgency, incontinence, nocturia, these, these types of things, um, these kind of symptoms of overactive bladder. And again, that has to be so difficult in terms of quality of life for the patient. And if it's somebody who's not ambulatory, the caregiver, if a person's having trouble with bladder control, that has to be pretty, pretty miserable for the poor patient and the people trying to help take care of him or her. Absolutely. And, you know, this, this, this kind of speaks to our field and thinking of the whole patient and their whole life. Yes, the medical stuff, but also the quality of life, their social engagement, their work function. So someone with an overactive bladder and living in fear of incontinence or accidents might not want to leave the house. Or the second they leave, they're, they're paranoid and looking at where's the nearest bathroom. They're not you know, present or enjoying things, um, not able to tolerate medications by mouth sometimes. And so, you know, botulinum toxin could, could be an option in the right, uh, the right type of patient. Mm -hmm. Now, I would guess that you take care of only um, adult patients by uh, leading to the question, is there an age limit for this therapy or can we use it from babies up to the elderly? Uh, no, no age limit. So it's safe in children. I, I guess in, I guess little children that might have cerebral palsy. Was I reading something about premature infants sometimes have issues that require the uh, injections? I'll have to look. I've read so many interesting things about it, but... So I don't, you know, I don't treat pediatrics, um, right? but as long as, so to my knowledge, there's not a, a minimum either. If manifestations mm -hmm. of spasticity or dystonia or these types of things are, are present as a neuro neurologic system is developing, uh, I'm not aware of a minimum, but I don't treat pediatrics, so I'm not mm -hmm. 100% sure. And then once you do make a diagnosis of spasticity or dystonia, when do you reach for the botulinum toxin injections? Do you start with oral meds first? And then where is it on the spectrum of therapy? Yeah, great question. So botulinum toxin is absolutely an appropriate first line treatment. I think if every provider was trained to administer it, it, it would uh, certainly outpace the muscle relaxer pills. So it's, it's just a matter of expertise and training as far as uh, its, its prevalence out there. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits to botulinum toxin over pills. Pills have their place. The 
everything has pros and cons, but some of the pros of the botulinum toxin over the pills, number one, it's more potent. So sometimes we do get lucky and we get the relaxation we want with the pill. The botulinum toxin is just more efficacious and potent. It's more likely to relax and, and to work. Number two, it's targeted. Mm -hmm. If we want to relax muscles ABC, we inject muscles ABC, those relax compared to a pill. It's just the potential side effect of a general weakness because it's a systemic that effect goes everywhere. And then the third main difference is the, the side effect profile, which is much, much cleaner and lower in botulinum toxin. And what you're avoiding with the main set of side effects with the muscle relaxer pills are the central nervous system type side effects. Things like confusion, mm. drowsiness, interactions with other medications. Because in, in truth, most muscle relaxer pills, as they're often called, are actually brain or spinal cord you know, relaxers. There's, there's basically one FDA-approved pill that works on the muscle itself. Everything else that's used both on and mm -hmm. off-label really is acting in, in the brain and the spinal cord. So botulinum toxin works right in the muscle in a targeted and, and potent way. So I think there are some key words you just mentioned worth repeating. Targeted therapy makes us much more comfortable, but in the hands of an expert, especially as you mentioned twice already when dealing with the neck. There are a lot of <laughs> red and green zones where you want to go, where you don't want to go. How would patients know how to decipher that they're in expert hands, people that are really trained to use ultrasound or e-stem or an EMG, electromyography, to know exactly where they're going? How do patients find a somebody really certified in this area? Right. I would say look at their training. If their background, their residency, their education is in physical medicine and rehabilitation, sure, there's exceptions, but mm. it's part of our training to degrees. It's part of our training and something uh, that we're, we're educated and trained to do. It's not just us, though. Neurology are, are another field that can do botulinum toxin injections. Uh, some of the, uh, I would say it's a red flag if someone says they don't need to use any localization technique. If they say, I don't need ultrasound or EMG or e-stim, I, I know where the muscles are, that'd be a red flag. Um, and otherwise, you know, word of mouth, friends, family, their profile on, on their website about their training and their techniques, that would be the things to look for. Mm -hmm. So we talked about the the patients that you see and you use the injections, um, including migraines. And I guess sometimes neurologists would help patients with not migraines. But in my world of GI, which is a fun world, um, we will use the scope. Some patients have a very tight uh, sphincter that separates esophagus from stomach. The condition is achalasia. You're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. And we inject that with Botox, and then their food can pass through more comfortably. It's just miraculous, the, the dramatic change. People that have very slow motility for all different reasons, but the condition of gastroparesis, meaning it's not paralyzed, but it's uh, paretic, it's slower. We inject the sphincter where the stomach empties and it opens the door, food slides through. And I was reading articles, I haven't referred patients for this, but we use it to sort of weaken the, the rectal sphincter to let anal fissures heal. heal. Again, uh, I'm sure for people that have that kind of pain, it's like sitting in a bowl of glass and any kind of relief is uh, miraculous. So it started, as you mentioned, when treating lazy eye 
and we talked about blepharospasm or uh, twitching of the eyelids, and then um, TMJ, and uh, people that salivate too much say allorrhea, and dysphonia. Uh, not that that's very common, but for people listening, uh, I guess Robert Kennedy Jr., that's the condition he has, that his vocal cords don't cooperate, and uh, sometimes we see that. And I'm reading articles about women with chronic pain from pelvic floor dysfunction. You mentioned uh, an overactive bladder and sexual dysfunction. And what's really wonderful, I was reading that there's hope for using it with people with depression. I'm not sure how that would work other than the P, uh, the P chemical, the P factor. Substance P, perhaps. Substance P, <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of of that, but uh, interesting to see uh, those ongoing studies. Mm -hmm. So what have you learned from using the toxin? What's the most interesting thing that you walk away with after um, learning how to apply it in what situations and, and how you've used it? What What is your um, maybe most impressive uh, patient case that you've ever seen? Well, it's, it's hard to pick one. Uh, there's There's so many. But one of the just uh, you know, themes or things that are fulfilling to to me and others in my field is is sort of the the individual nature of it. So everyone's got their own goals, everyone has has their own you know needs, and so no no two patients are alike. And that's a cliche, but it's true. And uh, we're really just mm -hmm. communicating as a team with the patient, with the caregivers, and figuring out how to help and and then doing it. Um, and to that end as well, really, you know, we do our exam, we look at range of motion and degrees and there's, there's scales of tone. We do all these so-called objective measures, which is important and great, but it also just comes down to the most important thing really is the subjective or what the patient says. I like it. I don't like it. I need more of this. I need less of that. And just, just working with them and it, it feels like for them, they're, they're in control. They're, they're getting what they want. They're getting their needs met and it's, it's just cutting to the chase about what we need to do to help them. I guess as people come back for checkups, Steve, do, do you have some sort of questionnaire or a scale of one to 10 where you say, um, is, has your pain improved or how about your uh, ability to stand or walk or move your limbs? How do you, um, I guess, apply a quantitative measure to improvement with your three treatments one of the one of those quantitative measures would would be range of motion uh, we can use a goniometer and look at both active and then passive if stretching further allows more range we can get their actual degrees of motion there's various scales that quantify tone for spasticity and going down on the scale or less tight basically is another way to gauge a positive response to the medication um, and then you can kind of approach some other quantitative ideas from the patient, like how many spasms did you have the day before, how many now, or how long did they last before versus now, mm. or if you had to give a percentage of how, how much less severe are they, what, what would that number be? And they can give an idea of that. And if we have a little time when we come back in our final segment, I'd love to talk about the concept of neuroplasticity, because sometimes, uh, a patient uh, rehabs, if I can use that as a verb, to a certain point and they get to a level of function and then they stop going back to the treatments, not necessarily botulinum, but um, physical therapy in general. And there's 
there's always room to go, isn't there? Unless they're so frozen in a contracture. Right. There's, it's an interdisciplinary approach, and sometimes you need more therapy, more bracing, more, more botulinum toxin, this specialist, that specialist, and it's, it's often a moving target and always, you know, trying to get the most out of everything. Mm-hmm. Work in progress. Stay with us when we return for the wrap-up with Dr. Steve Marcos. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, I'm Pete Vernig, Vice President of Clinical Services for Recovery Centers of America and one of your drug and alcohol experts from RCA. Today, I'm here to talk to you about the stigma associated with alcohol use disorder. This stigma can have harmful effects on individuals who are struggling with alcohol use or seeking treatment. The stigma is often fueled by stereotypes and myths that portray individuals with alcohol use disorder as weak or lacking willpower. How certain words are used to describe alcohol-related problems and the people who are affected by them perpetuate this stigma. Stigma is a significant barrier to many people's willingness to seek help for their alcohol problems and can affect how they're treated in all aspects of life, including availability and quality of care. Reducing stigma is a step towards addressing these problems. We can all help alleviate the stigma associated with alcohol-related conditions by consistently using non-stigmatizing, person-first language to describe these concerns and the people who are affected by them. Keep in mind that some words that are commonly used in society, such as alcoholic or alcohol abuse, can be stigmatizing. Stigma can discourage individuals from seeking help or treatment. They may feel ashamed or embarrassed to admit that they have a problem and fear being judged or ostracized by others. As a result, they may avoid seeking help and continue to struggle with their drug or alcohol use, which can lead to serious health problems and even death. If you or your loved one needs help with alcohol or drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodoctor.com. That's R-C-A-R-A-D-I-O-D-R.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We call this wrap-up segment your weekly prescription. Dr. Steve Marcos, it's been a pleasure to listen to your explanations as to how botulinum toxin, some known as Botox is a trade name and and other trade names like Dysport and the other ones that we mentioned, Xeomin. What is your take home message for listeners? Yeah. So I hope that if someone was listening and uh, life has been impacted by the types of things we're talking about, excess muscle tone or tightness, um, you know, pain from the tightness impacting range of motion, their day-to-day functioning because muscles aren't moving quite right. Uh, maybe you learn something and, and can, can find a different way to go about uh, treating things. We talked about some of the diagnoses, things like stroke, a brain injury, a spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis, cerebral palsy, Parkinson's disease, and some other 
neurologic conditions that can cause abnormally high muscle tone or tension. And, um, you know, if, if you've tried things and haven't tried botulinum toxin yet, it's, it could be worth just asking your, your doctor what they think or for a referral if it's an appropriate thing to, to think about. And then mm-hmm. uh, lastly, I would say that botulinum toxin has been a, a very, very much so life-changing uh, therapeutic intervention that's been developed and is growing in its applications throughout the years. There's a lot of benefits to it. Muscle relaxers have their place. Pills have their place. Just uh, they're focusing on talking about the botulinum toxin injections, though. There, there are some pros compared to the pills. Um, and again, it's an appropriate and, and quite effective and the right patient uh, treatment for a lot of these issues. Well, Steve, if somebody wanted to see you as a patient, we should let our listeners know that you take care of patients at the JFK Johnson Rehabilitation Institute in Edison, New Jersey. And we'll repeat the phone number again as we close, but it's 732-321-7000. And you're, do you see patients there and elsewhere or pretty much just at JFK? JFK full-time, Hackensack Meridian Health JFK Medical Center and the Johnson Rehabilitation Institute up here in Edison, New Jersey. Beautiful. I guess that's why you're so smart. Do you know Thomas Edison per- personally? I do not. <laughs> you just live next door to his, his house. <laughs> well, uh, you do incredible work. I think that it takes a very special person like you to to look in the eyes of these patients with ver- very sad patients with tough disabilities from stroke and spinal cord injury and brain trauma and any ounce of hope you could give them is such a plus. And it takes a special person with a lot of patience, but you bring these people hope and joy. And we thank you for sharing your time with us. Again, Dr. Steve Marcos, thank you very much. If people want to see you at the JFK Johnson Rehabilitation Institute in Edison, New Jersey, they can reach you at 732-321-7000. Thank you so much, Steve. You are welcome. And you can Google my name to find me. And if you're interested in the, the golf content, you can check out drgolfguru.com, drgolfguru.com, or Instagram at dr.golfguru, dr.golfguru. Very cool. Dr. Golf Guru, G-U-R-U. The, the website's drgolfguru.com. Beautiful. Thank you, Steve. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to your radio doctor today and every Saturday here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT at 5 p.m. Listen again using any device on the website odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America. If you would like to partner in the show, send us an email, info at yourradiodoctor.net. I hope you enjoyed the shows over the past few weeks. A special thank you to Narberth Ambulance for their great summer safety tips and we were thrilled to be part of the great 4th of July festivities in Ocean City. Thanks to Doug Bergen from the mayor's office, Jack Johnson for the beautiful flag-raising ceremony, Jack, Karen Fuller, and Cornelius Merlini, who organized the South Ocean City Bike Parade, Mummers for You, and the incredible bagpipe patriotic music of Bob Waters. It was our first Man on the Street show, and it was so much fun. We're hoping to get out there again and talk to you in your community. Tune in next week for our quiz show called What's the Belly Pain? with our star guest, Dr. Tony Infantilino, Director of Advanced Endoscopy at the Cooper University Hospital. 
Please follow your radio doctor on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and now on threads. Here's our email address, info at yourradiodoctor.net, because I want you to send us a story of a champion from your family or community. You can join the show as a sponsor, or you can even send a question about belly pain for next week's show. Email address, info at yourradiodoctor.net. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. Always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered.